this is a frontier market. It's not easy. You've got to hustle. You've got to work really hard. But it's got all the hallmarks of a market that's going to be in a really important for New Zealand's future. It's got similarities to what we might have experienced 15 years ago in a market like China. You've got this fast-growing middle class. They, 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 they want New Zealand products. They want imported products. I think it does hold a really strong future for New Zealand. That's New Zealand Trade and Enterprise Trade Commissioner Joe Nelson talking about doing business in Vietnam. The name of our country is a fairly common sight on the streets of Hanoi or Saigon, usually on signs followed by the name of a fruit. Maybe it's our trademark kiwi fruit, or the humble apple, a staple for our supermarket shelves, but a premium good in places where jackfruit and mango are so plentiful. Kiwi Zespri xin chào. Kiwi Zespri tăng cường vitamin C, giúp hệ miễn dịch khỏe mạnh nữa. Các cậu không phải là hồng xiêm sao? Hồng xiêm. That's an ad for Zespri kiwi fruit that plays in Vietnam, a country where when people think of New Zealand, one of the first things that comes to mind is luxury fruit. Apples from Golden Bay, now for sale in one of Vietnam's biggest supermarkets. The most important job I have here is to share some delicious New Zealand apples. Kiwi exporters are taking advantage of the Asian nation's strong economic growth. But it's an area of considerable opportunity. Uh, we've seen, for instance, a 43% increase in our trade in Vietnam in just five years. Two-way trade with Vietnam is worth $2.3 billion a year. It's been on the way up and that looks set to continue. That's following a trade trip earlier this month by Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern and a hefty business delegation to shore up those links. Beginning with the Prime Minister and a gigantuan wreath. A parade, a handshake, a meeting and then a chat with the man who's actually the most powerful, the head of the Communist Party. One win from the trip has been opening the New Zealand market to Vietnamese limes. All those who prefer lime in their uh, corona will be able to access it this summer, so I'm sure some will be very happy. Great news for guacamole and margarita aficionados, but what does it mean for those of us not running Mexican restaurants? I'm Matthew Scott, and today on The Detail, closer trade links with Vietnam. What's in it for us? RNZ's business editor, Giles Beckford, went along for the ride with the PM and the business delegation. I asked them why we're turning our focus to Vietnam. Well, I, I have to say, landed in Ho Chi Minh City uh, and Hanoi, and the first thing that came to me that passed through my mind was just 50 years ago we were fighting in this country when we were fighting against the predecessors of the current regime. Um, what they call the American War, uh, in the West known as the Vietnam War. And it's just the complete sea change that's happened over that period, which is uh, Vietnam, a lot like China, has become part of the sort of global market economy. Uh, and while it remains a, a one-party state, uh, it clearly is uh, driven uh, by commerce uh, and doing business in a way that New Zealanders understand. For New Zealand in particular, Vietnam offers one of its fastest growing uh, markets. It's um, the country's 15th biggest trade partner. Uh, Two-way trade is worth about uh, $2.5 billion a year. Mm. About evenly split a billion dollars of New Zealand exports going in there. New Zealand buying just over a billion dollars worth of Vietnamese produced goods. 
But the uh, makeup of the Vietnamese economy and its fast growth, and it's growing at 7% a year. In fact, in the past year, it was 7.7% was the annual growth rate. It's a, a market that is now offering opportunities to sell a lot of consumer-type goods uh, into a growing middle class that has uh, got a reasonable amount of wealth about it. So New Zealanders have obviously picked that this is uh, you know, uh, a good market to chase. It's also seen as a good part of the diversification of our trade away from that reliance right. on China, which, of course, takes about... Uh, about a quarter of um, our exports. And so from that point of view, one of the criticisms has been that New Zealand, a bit too reliant on China, needs to look for other markets. And Vietnam mm. offers one of the uh, better prospects uh, looking ahead. country of about 100 million people, but as I say, fast growth, fast-growing middle-class disposable income, and wanting to aspire not to the basics, but to what we might regard as uh, the luxuries, the consumer-type right. goods, uh, particular food uh, and beverage uh, types of products, which um, are attractive to them. And that was the thrust of this mission in particular. Uh, look, for a number of years, uh, we've been talking as a nation about the importance of having resilience in our uh, in our exports. And that's, that's for a number of reasons. You look at uh, what happened when you saw border closures with COVID? If you had too much reliance on one market, uh, it became really problematic. You remember rock lobsters, 100% into one market. Uh, and so that kind of disruption for a sector can be devastating. Uh, making sure that we either have diversification or good plans in place should there be disruption uh, to market uh, is, is just good practice. How much of this is a deliberate attempt to reduce our reliance on China as a trading partner? Oh, it's very much a conscious decision, which is, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with the Chinese relationship per se, uh, and and it will remain our biggest trading partner for years to come. But the complaint has always been that, you know, we're just too reliant on them. We need to look for other markets. Uh, it should be noted that uh, Southeast Asia, or the broad Asian region, uh, is our third or fourth biggest trading block uh, with whom we have uh, you know, a trading partnership. So it's worth billions of dollars discounting China, leaving them to one side. It's worth billions of dollars um, a year in exports. So it does provide that necessary diversification, alternative markets. You can't live on one market alone. You only need to have, as we've seen, COVID still disrupting things in China, periodic lockdowns in various parts of the country. Uh, that get, that gets in the way of trade. If you've got most of your trade going into one market and it's disrupted, then you know, it it's, doesn't make any sense. And you need, you, know, you need alternatives, you need options. And this is why greater effort going into uh, Southeast Asia in particular saying, these are markets now which are, are big, they're growing. I know we often have the perception that they're 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 poor countries. Well, you know they are rapidly growing. They are rapidly getting richer. They are getting uh, more demanding. Other sorts of products that we take for granted, but for which for them, uh, you know, are, are aspirational, but now achievable. When news of a pneumonia-like virus from across the border in China reached Vietnam the government immediately took the potential spread seriously 
anticipating that the country could have thousands of cases and framing the outbreak as a war. Like us, they weathered the COVID storm relatively well. Is that part of the reason why they've managed to be such a rapidly emerging market in the region? Well, they've certainly bounced back from COVID in in, uh, in a really strong fashion. I mean, trade was growing and uh, was improving as uh, even before the pandemic hit. The pandemic put a bit of a you know a roadblock in there for uh, a brief period, you know, eighteen months, two years, but. We were always growing in there, and the aim was always to make it one of those priority markets. Ho Chi Minh City is just just buzzing. Um, it is the commercial impulse there that uh, you know you you would find you'd be hard pressed to find it as well developed um, and as fast paced uh, in this country um, as you do in Ho Chi Minh City. You know, everybody's out there buying doing a deal, selling. Uh, you know, it's uh, the, the pace of commercialism uh, and the scope of commercialism um, is something which uh, you, know, you would think that you would only see in the sort of most developed economies uh, in, in Europe or the States, but uh, not so. They are catching up, and they are catching up real fast. Vietnam's an exciting country because there's close to 100 million people here. It's got a really young demographic, um, and we're able to actually, you know, get get consumers when they're really sort of starting to make the right choices, and they're ultimately going to be the influential ones. So Vietnam has uh, something of a spotty at best human rights record, and um, also considering uh, sort of you know em- emissions um, on a country by country basis. For the New Zealand government, how can they necessarily square that ethically with gaining a closer tie to the country? Well, I'm not sure that they do. I don't think they try to uh, to square it, so to speak, uh, to tie it off. The point made by Jacinda Ardern is that we, this country and the government, doesn't necessarily link political systems and political cultures with the need to do trade. Uh, clearly, you know, there are times when official sanctions are put in place against an economy at the moment it's Russia and so we see how commerce has been disrupted with them because you know they're legally mandated sanctions but you know, New Zealand hasn't blinked an eye about doing business with China over the past uh, 20 30 years you know in ever growing uh, volumes and values and so from New Zealand, Vietnam may do things their own way and New Zealand will respect it. That's a line from the government. Rights groups say the government has intensified a crackdown on critics prior to the Congress. Vietnam consistently ranks in the bottom 10 in the World Press Freedom Index, compiled by Reporters Without Borders. Political watchers say they don't expect much to change. If there are concerns, and there were some concerns a few years ago when they were uh, negotiating the original TPP, which uh, then transformed into CPTPP, the alphabet soup of international trade, <laughs> uh, of course. Yeah. But you know, one of the things was that uh, labour standards in particular were a concern um, amongst uh, several would-be signatories. Uh, Vietnam labour standards and particular 
possible use of child labour in factories, remembering that Vietnam is used by a lot of big companies f- to make goods because it's a cheap labour market from their point of view, so their labour costs are down. But in part of the uh, CPTPP negotiations, there were agreements on minimum labour standards. Um, in particular, that was aimed at Vietnam and some of the other countries that have been used by Western companies uh, in the recent uh, decades uh, because it's just cheaper costs of production. So there's an influence there. But in terms of the broader politics, human rights, New Zealand separates those. Um, the example, of course, is China and the Uyghurs. Uh, and uh, Jacinda Ardern, in her meeting with Xi Jinping, once again reiterated New Zealand's concerns about the way that Uyghurs have been uh, treated uh, and the way that they've been oppressed. But that's not getting in the way of New Zealand doing trade there. Similarly, it will be uh, in, in Vietnam. They may do business, do politics uh, in a different way. There may well be qualms about some of the uh, rules or lack of rules about the treatment of, of some people. But in the end, that will be left to individual companies to make their own ethical uh, decisions if it concerns them. New Zealand Vietnamese businessman Mitchell Pham has been working between the two countries for decades. He says having a closer relationship with Vietnam gives New Zealand more opportunity to voice those human rights and environmental concerns. Well, firstly, uh, different countries have different systems, um, and all systems have pros and cons, including our own here in New Zealand. And, mm. and we, do, we don't have perfect records across all fronts either. So, but, but more importantly, I believe that you know, the closer the relationship, the more trust we can gain and therefore the more positive influence we can have on our trading partners. I, I think that is going to be much more helpful or fruitful uh, and impactful than shunning away from partners who are not doing things the same way that we do. So in order to influence you, you have to have relationship and you have to have trust. And, and so I believe that actually we should uh, develop you know, stronger, closer ties with, with uh, countries like Vietnam. Vietnam's management of COVID-19 has helped lift its growth rate above other more traditional trading partners in the region. Vietnam is the fastest growing market in Southeast Asia. Uh, obviously, all of the markets in Southeast Asia are bouncing back quite strongly, but Vietnam definitely is a, uh, the, the best performing market at this point. Would you say Vietnam... Uh, have they leveraged their, their relatively light COVID pain into economic success going forward? Uh, my observation is that they have, and the economy seems to just uh, moving uh, very rapidly across a wide range of industries. Um, and, and people don't really talk much about COVID on the ground uh, anymore. Yeah, so, so I, I think it's, it's a great great market to really uh, tap into. Food and beverage products make up almost two-thirds of our exports to Vietnam, and there's appetite for more as consumers there become more health-conscious post-COVID. And as the growing middle class sort of uh, starts to happen in Vietnam as well, you know, disposable income is rising, so people are looking to experience premium. Has Vietnam as a market been overlooked by New Zealand in the past? Uh, I, I do believe Vietnam has been overlooked in the past. I think many uh, Southeast Asian markets have been overlooked in the past because of the mm. size 
of China and and the attention that that got from from New Zealand. I think today, you know, China is still a, a large and significant market, but it also comes with a, a range of geopolitical uh, dynamics that you know uh, that it represents not just opportunities but also risks. Um, you know, and, and when you look at uh, a market like Vietnam and, and the surrounding region, yeah, there, there's much less of those kind of risks. But, but at the same time, there's massive um, population size and and very high economic growth rate uh, in terms of recovery from COVID. As a person with links to both countries, how do you feel about us having a closer trade relationship? Personally, I'm super excited. You know, it's, it's always been my own personal passion to connect New Zealand uh, with Asia, specifically with Vietnam. You know, so I think by virtue of New Zealand Prime Minister leading a business delegation, and there hasn't been many delegations yet uh, from New Zealand to Asia, uh, and yet Vietnam has been, you know, a high priority uh, within these first few missions. Um, I, I think that's, that sends a really positive signal. Our prime minister is really, really popular on the ground in Vietnam. And so I think by lending that kind of a profile to to business and industry and then being seen on the ground, I think that's really important. It it sends uh, the right signals and and really positive messaging. People have mentioned the sort of halo effect that the prime minister has had in these uh, business trips. The mana that she carries and the authentic, genuine representation of New Zealand, Aotearoa, uh, is is amazing. And to have sat down last night in the Grand Hall with all of the delegates and the political leaders was quite humbling, to be honest. And we wouldn't have achieved that without Jacinda being here. Do you think that plays like a significant factor in getting perhaps members of the Vietnamese business community on board with trading with us? Totally. I, I, in fact, I don't think we fully leverage uh, our uh, Prime Minister's popularity in Asia enough I think we should do a lot more of that because I, that, that's just going to really help New Zealand businesses being more visible and and um, connecting into more areas of opportunities in Vietnam as well as the rest of Asia. That's it for today. I'm Matthew Scott. The detail is public interest journalism funded through NZ On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Rangi Poek and produced by Sarah Robson. Bonnie Harrison is our associate producer. And thanks to Giles Beckford and Mitchell Farm. Kakite. Kakite.